Uh, thank you very much. One minor correction, it was Canyon Creek, not Wolf Creek, where Elmer, uh, Elmer Nettleton had his ranch, and that's not the first time I've confused Wolf Creek and Canyon Creek. So sorry about that. Anyway, just some very uh, brief introductions. Don't want it, mean to leave anybody out, but I'd like to introduce my mom and dad who taught me everything I know, but they didn't teach me everything they know. <laughs> Lenore McKelvey Puheck, who is a uh, Fanny Sperry aficionado, uh, author. And as I look around this room, a real quick disclaimer, there are, um, I'm not pretending to be an expert on Fanny. There are a lot of people here that know just as much or more about her than I do, but we're going to do our best. Um, I'd like to introduce Wally Jester, who is a great, no, great-grand-nephew of Fanny. Is that close? Okay. <laughs> Uh, this is Wally in the front row here. Nina Bacchus, who was, let me get this right, Nina. Christine Sinis was your grandmother. So Nina Bacchus in the back there. Uh, Fanny's best friend was Christine. Uh, when Christine died at a young age, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, I read that Fanny could never talk about her, mention her name again. May or may not be true, I don't know. Um, any other relatives, any Sperrys here? Any other Sperrys? Any Hilgers? Any relatives of Hilgers? Okay. Any friends of Fanny? Anybody else here? <laughs> I know mom and dad knew Fanny. I'm sure Alice. Okay. Um, is Fanny Peterson here? No, okay. Well, I can scratch that out. Uh, okay, just a quick uh, outline of, of how we're going to do our presentation. It's going divi to be divided into four parts, approximately 10 minutes per segment. I'll do the first segment on, um, on Fanny's uh, the early part of her life up to the Calgary Stampede. Then Michelle will do part two, which is the, we're kind of celebrating the 100th anniversary of the second world championship in 1913 at the Winnipeg Stampede. So Michelle will cover that as well as Fanny's uh, courtship and marriage to Bill Steele. Then she's going to tell some stories about uh, Fanny later on when she would trail the horses 70 miles um, in her 70s and stop at Elmer's Ranch. And uh, so Elmer told uh, Michelle some good stories. And then the last part, we're going to play Judy Fiel's song, To Chin the Moon. And uh, uh, if you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat. Um, then we're going to save some time at the end, hopefully, for some questions and answers or comments or, or whatever. Um, so... That's about it. I wanted to tell a quick story. I'm a little, little intimidated with Lenore sitting in the front room. So I wanted to tell Lenore that my old English teacher told me one time, Kurt, when I read your articles, I put away my red pen. So I want you to keep that in mind, Lenore.
Okay, let's see if I can. See, I forgot already. <laughs> See, that's the song. Okay. Okay. Oh, I'm just gonna, <clears throat> I'm just gonna read the articles. I wrote a two-part series last summer. for the stampede, and I'm just going to read that from that. 100 years ago, a young cowgirl from north of Helena won her second straight World Saddle Bronc Riding Championship. Her name was Fanny Sperry Steele, and the achievement took place at the 1913 Winnipeg Stampede. 26 years earlier, Fanny was born to Datus and Rachel Sperry in 1887 on the family homestead below Beartooth Mountain, now known as the Sleeping Giant. The Sperrys were one of the more well-respected families in the area. When she was only two years old, Fanny told her mother, I'm going to catch me a white faith horsey. <laughs> and she did. She owned her first horse at the age of six, learning how to ride by breaking the wild horses that roamed the three homesteads below the Beartooth, the Sinus, Hilger, and Sperry ranches. At eight years of age, Fanny began attending the Mitchell School on horseback six miles away near the Seaman Ranch. Back then, school operated during the summer months, and every day Fanny would race to school according to the book, The Lady Rode Bucking Horses by D. Marvine. D. wrote, though Fanny learned quickly, she could see little sense in wasting the warm months in the stuffy schoolroom when she could be working with her horses. But one daily event kept her enthusiastic, racing to school on horseback with her classmate, Christine Sinis, who knew her way around horses as well as Fanny did. Before long, the whole valley knew about the two pretty young girls who met each day on the flats to race their ponies to school, unquote. Fanny's first entrance in a rodeo took place at Mitchell on July 4, 1901, when she was 14. A guy by the name of Carl Hager was in charge of the event, and at first he refused her entry. That is, until Christine's father and my great-great-grandfather, Andreas Sinus, convinced him otherwise. Dee wrote that the Norwegian immigrant told Hager, Fanny is a heck of a writer. I don't see any harm. <laughs> Carl, I can vouch for her. I've seen her ride some pretty tough Bronx up at my place. Yeah, sure. You betcha. <laughs> Hager gave in. Fanny rode the bucker to a second place finish, and a legend was born. Fanny and Christine both competed at bronc as bronc riders in addition to another sport they helped popularize. From 1904 to 1909, Fanny participated in women's relay races at fairs and exhibitions in nine different states and Manitoba, Canada. The races were contested on an oval racetrack with each woman riding solo against the clock. The event was described by Liz Stifler and Tona Blake in an article in the 1982 Montana Magazine as such. Under the sponsorship of the Capital Stock and Food Company, promoters copied the, re copied the relay races of Buffalo Bill, Cody's Pony Express race. Unlike Cody's show, however, the women rode thoroughbreds. The rules usually stipulated that riders change mounts four times, riding each horse an equal distance, and in some instances, racers had to change their own saddles. 
Christine joined Fannie the following season in 1905, and for the next three summers they were part of a foursome called the Montana Girls under the sponsorship of Butte's Walter Wilmot. They also belonged to a new fashion of horsewomen racing in bloomers, silk shirts, knee-high laced boots, and jockey-type caps. In Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1906, Fannie set the world record for the four-mile relay, posting a time of 8 minutes, 17 seconds. A Midwest newspaper article stated, Sperry is the girl who breaks her own horses at her Beartooth Ranch in Montana. When a rancher in that country gets an outlaw he can't handle, he sends for Miss Sperry, and she rides and breaks him thoroughly. She is known as the best handler of rough horses in the entire state, unquote. In 1907, at Helena's Central Park, Fanny was presented a medal that read Lady Bucking Horse Champion of Montana. The trend of the era allowed women to hobble the stirrups under the horse's belly, but Fanny shunned this method, preferring to ride her bronc slick, just like the men. She entered the 1912 Calgary Stampede, chaperoned by her mother. Fanny competed wearing a split riding skirt, which became one of her trademarks. On her fifth and final ride, the Montana Cowgirl captured the world championship on a bronc called Red Wing. Four days earlier, the horse had stomped cowboy Joe Lamar to death. Ellen Baumler of the Montana Historical Society described Fanny's ride on Red Wing as one of the best rides ever made in rodeo history by either male or female. In the 1996 Wild West magazine article, the F Fanny Sperry made the ride of her life, local author Lenore Puhek recounted how the big sorrel stood straight up on his hind legs. He bucked hard, sidestepped, circled, head down, and then head up. Lenore wrote, the crowd exploded as they watched Fanny's waist-long black braid flounce up and down to the rhythm of the horse under her. Afterwards, she swept off her hat and bowed. They whistled and clapped and stomped their boots as the announcer yelled, the lady bucking horse champion of the world, eh, Fanny Sperry, unquote. <laughs> Stampede organizer Guy Wiedek presented Fanny with a check for $1,000, a 250 hand tool leather saddle, and a 300 engraved gold buckle. Now just think how much that would be worth these days. And just think of what it would be to find that saddle, huh, Wally? <laughs> as, the, <clears throat> as the large audience applauded her victory, Fanny searched for her mother in the stands of Calgary's Victoria Park. When her eyes rested on the royal box, seated there next to the Duchess of Connaught, was none other than Rachel Sperry of Beartooth, Montana. I guess I read too fast. <laughs> Let's just enjoy the rest and then it'll be Michelle's turn.
Guess what place she took? In the parade. In the parade. First. Second. It says click, end of slide, click to exit. Okay, I don't have to click anything. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Let's just start it again because it's going, seems to go a little long. Go a little long. So we're going to start it again. Okay. Okay, uh, folks, uh, sorry about that. I, I, uh, I read too fast. Uh, oh, by the way, Fanny, Fanny Peterson here is here. So maybe we'll talk real quickly. She's uh, her great great aunt was Fanny Sperry Steele. She was named after her. And uh, nice to see you, Fanny. Yeah. So it's Michelle's turn. She's going to talk about Fanny in 1913, uh, the Winnipeg Stampede. And uh, what we forgot to mention in the introduction is Michelle's been bucked off of a few horses her own self. Thank you, Kurt, for uh, asking me to help out with this um, presentation about Fanny. Uh, I also uh, wasn't quite sure what to uh, walk up here with because I knew there'd be people in the audience who had vast knowledge about her, but I kind of did my, my rundown from what I was uh, able to read and gather from the book, The Lady Who Rode Bucking Horses. So where I'm going to pick up uh, uh, 
pick up from is after her big win at Calgary, Fanny received many letters uh, congratulating her on her title. And along with those letters, she received an invitation from the Powell County Fair Committee. They were offering her $100 to come ride an exhibition horse at the Deer Lodge County Fair. And one thing that I always found notable when I was reading these chapters about Fanny, she always included her parents. And not only did they chaperone her, but I think she wanted them there also. So they loaded up and um, went to Deer Lodge. And while she was in Deer Lodge, she met a rodeo clown named Bill Steele. He introduced himself and she remembered previously meeting him at Pendleton because I think at one time he kind of poked a little fun at her for uh, her ride that she had made at a previous rodeo. And then she went ahead and rode the first round of horses at the, uh, at the Deer Lodge County Fair and he commented that she made a pretty successful and nice ride and wondering if she would join him in a cup of coffee to make amends for the little poking fun at her that he did and probably I'm sure he was impressed again once again with her riding. While having coffee Fanny learned how Bill worked for the a local ranching outfit the Elliots near Deer Lodge and he also had owned his own string of bucking horses. And he also mentioned that he had dabbled in some bronc stomping, but I think after getting stoved up and hitting the ground a couple times, he um, wasn't as interested in it probably as Fanny was. And my guess is he just probably got tired of getting bucked off. So um, the outlet for him to continue on with the the horse career and the rodeo aspect was to supply bucking horses to these uh, Wild West shows and um, to also participate as a rodeo clown helping you know when we've all seen them save lives during the uh, the rough stock events especially the bull riding. So while at Deer Lodge Fanny and Bill walked through the fair um, displays and she actually brought him back to where her parents um, would stay and introduce them and they seemed to enjoy uh, Bill's uh, stories and Fanny could tell that he was a man who enjoyed horses as much as her so she took a, a, a liking to Bill, I think, at this point. And I think um, her mom could sense that Bill was um, somebody that Fanny was pretty interested in. So she went ahead and said, well, Bill, would you like to join us at the Beartooth for Thanksgiving? And in the book, Fanny had actually, uh, they wrote that Fanny said that was the longest month from the, uh, October where she saw him in Deer Lodge to where she got to see him again at Thanksgiving was a long month. But he did make the trip from Deer Lodge to the Beartooth for Thanksgiving. And that was, I imagine, quite a ride. 
and pretty chilly that time of year. And joined them for, um, for dinner, for Thanksgiving dinner. And he even had wrote a couple poems about her and, and gave them to her. And that winter, he made two more visits from Deer Lodge up to the Beartooth, obviously interested in Fanny. And during his uh, New Year's visit, he asked Fanny to marry him, and she agreed. So they proceeded to have a wedding uh, April 16, 1913, in Helena. And the couple chose to honeymoon back at the ranch that he worked at in Deer Lodge for a roundup and branding. Now you always hear these days of couples going to Cabo San Lucas or <laughs> Chico Hot Springs perhaps. Um, but Fanny and Bill went back to where he worked and what I gathered in reading the book is she was in her element there. Um, she was helping out at the ranch. She rode horses with Bill and my guess probably out riding him and they gathered cattle and she liked their little bunkhouse that they shared together. I think it probably felt like a little slice of heaven to her. She even proposed staying on through the haying season and possibly drawing a wage just like the hired men and would have been content with that. But Bill, I think Bill was a thinker and he had some bigger plans for him and Fanny. He knew that Fanny would be riding in Cheyenne and doing some more exhibition rodeos. So to commit to his employer that they would be there, he knew that that wouldn't be fair. So they went ahead and, and pulled out of uh, the Elliott's ranch near Deer Lodge and went up to stay at the Beartooth with Fanny's family. And while they were up at the Beartooth, uh, he went ahead and put together a, a wagon that they could stay in and travel in. And then he began to schedule, uh, the, he began to schedule the whole summer for Fanny to get on some bucking horses, uh, some exhibition rodeos, and to actually defend her title at Winnipeg. And then he could go along and with his string of bucking horses that he owned, he went ahead and provided some bucking horses. So he's covering, uh, basically, killing, you know, uh, two birds with one stone. He's getting his bucking horses to these rodeos while entering his wife in the ladies' bucking horse events. Well, that summer, Fanny appeared in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Grand Forks, North Dakota, and all the way to Sioux uh, City, Iowa. And along these performances, well, Bill saw that sharpshooters could draw crowds also. So now he's encouraging Fanny to go ahead and start practicing and doing some sharpshooting and doing some sharpshooting even horseback. And while she was attempting a bronc ride in Sioux City, the horse actually slipped and fell, rolled completely over Fanny. She was okay but incredibly sore. A, a doctor uh, took a look at her and said she sprained her back and recommended that she take it easy for at least a month. So at that time, Bill sent Fanny back home, I'm assuming on the train, 
and he continued on uh, providing his uh, bucking horse, uh, his excuse me, his stock to the the rodeos that he had they had been obligated to go to. And he, I think, wanted to make sure that she was healed up to defend that title. Well, she uh, must have healed up nicely because she went ahead and, and entered Winnipeg. And I think in the old rodeos that days, those days, they always had the parades before the rodeos. And it was just a grand affair. And they actually got a rundown of who was to ride in the parade and what order they would be in. And in the book, The Lady Rode Bucking Horses, it sounded like Bill was a little upset when Fanny kind of got front row preference in the front of the parade, and he was in the back uh, with the Indians. <laughs> and um, he actually entered the rodeo himself at Winnipeg. Now, the first day of uh, the Winnipeg rodeo, Fanny turned in a pretty good performance rode a bronc. Um, ironically, Bill's ride didn't qualify him for the finals. And uh, in, re in I think it was a series of four rides that qualified her for the finals. And she rode every bronc and made good scores every time. On the final day, Fanny brought the spectators to their feet cheering while she stayed in the saddle on that last, on that last bronc, even with a, a, a broken buck rein. Now, um, from my riding experience, if you can't control their head, you don't have much control. And if she lost her bucking rein, um, she just had of, out of skill and strength and knowledge of uh, riding a bucking horse, she did it. She had, she had defended her title as Lady uh, Champion of the World. Without re-injuring her back, the Winnipeg Prize paid $1,000. Now, I went ahead and Googled that. And today, that would be about $25,000. So with that money in their pocket, Fanny and Bill headed back to the Sperry Ranch with a healthy nest egg for their future. And that was my portion of um, the synopsis kind of of what happened during that time and I'm gonna recall some stories uh, that Elmer Nettleton my old neighbor across the street who's a uh, quite a hand himself and at 84 is still riding colts and nailing shoes on horses and uh, so I kind of picked his brain because he he had mentioned a few things that he had learned about Fanny and actually met her and knew her his recollection goes back to his mother. She actually was pretty good friends with Fanny because her mo Elmer's mother, Katie, was from the Jackson Creek area, and it's my understanding that Fanny and Bill resided in that area um, after, after her rodeo career. So they, they had met and knew of each other. In the meantime, I'm sure F Fanny proceeded on with all her rodeos and then later on with her outfitting business. And out of their friendship, uh, Katie Nettleton and Fanny uh, got together and 
were able to come up with a plan for Fanny when she trailed her horses from the Beartooth to Arasta Creek, they could actually stay in Canyon Creek at uh, Katie's new place and overnight the horses there and then they could go on. So Elmer told me he remembers as a kid Fanny trailing these horses. Uh, back then she was probably 60, 70 years old and trailing these horses and she'd leave Arasta Creek and get to Grand Tiers if you're familiar with uh, the Lincoln area. Then from Grand Tiers she would trail the horses to Elmer's mom and dad's place in Canyon Creek. And I asked him, I said, about how many horses were there? And he said, 20 to 25. And he said, she always had a Hilder girl with her. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, always remained friends and had good helpers. And one year, uh, as e either they were headed up or back, Elmer tells the story about his dad went to help Fanny get on her horse as she was headed out and they threw the saddle on and he was going to help her get on and this horse was an old coyote. He was actually stomping and striking at Elmer's dad and Fanny, I guess, with her patience and her skill, she said he, she monkeyed around with that old ornery horse until she got on and off she rode and Elmer's dad said, you know, good luck and waved and he told Elmer, he says, gosh, if I owned that horse, I'd take him behind the barn and shoot him. <laughs> and so Elmer and his sister locally would break some of the local ranch horses. They were nowhere near bucking horses. And so they were able to do this successfully and made a, you know, made a little bit of money as young kids even starting these horses. And his sister's name was Marie. And Marie took a a notion to ride in bucking horses herself and since they knew Fanny, Fanny set them up with a little bay mare. And Marie went ahead and bought this mare and decided this is how she's going to practice uh, riding bucking horses because she could do such a good job with these maybe ranch and kind of farm bred horses. Well, according to Elmer, Fanny's horses were a little ornerier than the ranch and farm horses and Marie actually was able to ride this bay mare four or five times and the last time that she did get on the mare, um, Elmer says it's a good thing he rode in with his kind of, he hazed the horse over to the fence and got it stopped and Marie said, well, I, I, you know, I, I like breaking horses and all but this, uh, these bucking horses aren't for me, that's a little more than, than what I want to deal with. So they managed to pack this horse they bought from Fanny for some hunting trips and it still was pretty ranky even after being packed so it turns out that they had sold it to some sort of rodeo operation a little further east and it actually turned out to be a pretty dang good uh, bucking horse and and another story that Elmer uh, recalled uh, of Fanny and her love for horses one year she wasn't able to make the trip, I don't know if it was a, to Arasta Creek or back, but the Hilger boys were going to do it for her. I don't know if she maybe was under the weather. And instead of staying overnight and making it a two-day trip, the Hilger boys <laughs> pushed the horses through all through the dead of night. Elmer's mom heard them go through at 2 a.m. They made the trip from Arasta Creek to the Beartooth in one trip. And 
Fanny was mad at them. She wanted them to go ahead and let them horses take it easy and, and treat them with respect. Well, so the next, next time around, the Hilger boys weren't invited. Um, and so that is uh, another, um, another, I would say, aspect of Fanny that's so admirable is she just had a true love for horses and, and I think she was always looking out for their well-being whether they were, uh, whether they were a rank horse or uh, just a nice saddle horse. Uh, along with some other stories, Elmer knows of of um, Aunt Fanny's horses being a little bit on the ornery side, she also with with her her bucking horses. I think she incorporated them into dude horses and probably hoped for the best. <laughs> uh, Fanny told uh, his uh, Katie Nettleton a story where she thought this bucking horse was going to make it as a dude horse, but. Um, she wasn't sure, but she tried him, and some photographer from back east wanted to take pictures of all these hunting trips and maybe for a hunting magazine, and so he brought his fancy camera, and he was riding one of the uh, bucking horses that was converted to a dude horse, and I guess Fanny said that he still must have had it in his heart to be a bucking horse because he proceeded to buck the photographer off and break his fancy camera. And as, as Fanny continued on in her later years, still outfitting, she, she told Elmer's mom the way that she went ahead and earned money is she milked her cows at a Rasta Creek, strapped on cans of cream on each side of a pack horse. And he couldn't, he couldn't remember if it was Helmville or Ovando, but would take this pack string with, of cream to Ovando Helmville, get her mail, sell her cream, and ride back. And by doing that, she actually saved up enough money to buy a Jeep. <laughs> and so I got a chuckle out of all these stories that um, Elmer could tell me and how he recalled. And even in her later days, at, when she was at the Cooney home, her passion and love for horses still continued. And God bless the Hilger girls who would go pick her up. And Elmer recalls seeing her at the Last Chance Stampede. He would see her at a little horse sale. He would see her at O'Moxie's. She still continued to pursue her love for horses. Even though she maybe couldn't climb aboard, she could still watch. And that's, um, that, that is one of the things that I admire about her. I love horses, and I, I like to be around them. I sure... I sure do not have the courage or probably the talent that Fanny had. Um, I've had a concussion from being bucked off of a horse. Um, I've had a horse fall down and not even go all the way over, and I, you know, was pretty wimpy about it. And um, I try not to get on any of that buck. Um, <laughs> so what she accomplished is just physically and and a, a feat that like a lot of men probably couldn't necessarily even do. And today, our little girl is doing a Montana history project, and she chose Fanny Sperry Steele as the subject of her, 
of her, her Montana History Project, and she didn't want to miss any school, so she didn't come today. But she's reading the book, um, The Lady Rode Bucking Horses, and I'll wrap up my portion by um, ending with this. On the way to school today, I asked her, I said, so far, you know, you're reading this book, Haven. What, what are you getting? Um, what's the biggest thing that you get from reading about Fanny? And my little girl's pretty blunt. And she says, you know, it was nothing fancy. Or she says, Mom, Fanny loved horses. Okay, I think I might skip my last reading part and just go straight to the song. So uh, thank you, Michelle. And one thing, I, I did forget one introduction at the beginning. And guess who I forgot to introduce, folks? My wife. <laughs> my wife, Melissa. So we'll go to the song. It was written by Judy Fiel in 1991. And uh, she lives in Helena now. And um, a quick story, the first time I heard this song was with my brother Trent. And she came out and played it live at the fairgrounds last year at the Stampede. And uh, I started crying like a baby. So I kind of looked down to make sure that nobody could see me crying. And I kind of looked up over at my brother Trent and I saw a tear running down his eye. Well, he's 10 times tougher than I am. So I didn't feel bad about crying then. So. <laughs> okay, so and we'll start the song and then the slide the photos to you. Springtime in the Rockies. Welcome, Fanny, to the world. She followed in her mother's footsteps when she reached for the saddle horn. But the first time her boots touched the stirrups, a cowgirl legend was born. Yeah, the first time her boots touched the stirrups, a cowgirl legend was born. Now roping and riding were great sport, and rounding up strays in the pines. Her ranch life was just right for Fanny, hard work suited her fine. But sometimes she'd head for the hillsides Where the high bucking wild horses roam And when a young cayuse caught her eye She'd rope him and bring him on home Yeah, when a young cayuse caught her eye She'd rope him and bring him no Mustang was too tough for Fanny. No matter how high he'd explode, she could 
twisting and turning. She could outlast any outlaw she ever rode. In the saddle from sun up to sundown. And sometimes into the night, you could just see a wild horse and rider making dust clouds in the silver moonlight. You could just see a wild horse and rider making dust clouds in the silver moonlight. And the chin, the moon, was the finest of moments. The Montana moon, the best in the sky. Time stood still there in the saddle with the mountains and the sagebrush and the hills were in by. She was a cowgirl from sun up to sundown. And sometimes into the night you could just see a wild horse and rider making dust clouds in the silver yeah, you could just see a wild horse and rider making dust clouds in the silver moonlight. Now word traveled fast about Fanny. Folks came from miles around to see this girl who could talk any horse into putting all four feet back onto the ground. She rode him to a standstill at the roundups. Such courage they'd never seen. She was Montana's Fanny's Ferry, the cowgirl of everyone's dreams. She was Montana's Fanny's Ferry, the cowgirl of everyone's dreams. She entered the bucking horse contest at Calgary's first stampede. But all the horses she drew were losers, and another cowgirl was taking the lead till she flew from the chute on old Red Wing. How that killer horse twisted and twirled. There was no doubt Fanny was the champion, the best lady bronc rider in the world. There was no doubt Fanny was the champion, the best lady bronc rider in the world. And the chin, the moon, was the finest of moments. The Montana moon, the best in the sky. Time stood still there in the saddle with the mountains and the sagebrush and the hills weren't by. She rode slick like a man in the saddle. Such courage they'd never seen. She was Montana's Fanny Sperry, the cowgirl of everyone's dreams. She was Montana's Fanny Sperry, the cowgirl of everyone's dreams. Now Fanny wasn't wild about cowboys. 
But blue-eyed Bill Steele changed her mind How he loved to see her braids a-flying That bronc bustin' cowgirl was one of a kind So they hitched up and rode off together A string of horses in tow And they traveled all over the prairies With their sharpshootin' Wild West show Yeah, they traveled all over the prairies With their sharpshootin' Wild West show When the rodeo faded from glory
Okay, that's our presentation. Uh, do we have time for questions, Kirby, do you think? Sure. Uh, anybody have any questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. Pressure's on, Trent. Uh, hopefully, I have it open in June. And we just show it by appointment now. So it's, it's kind of in a rephase mode right now. We're just setting up the display cases and stuff because we've got a bunch of new stuff. But uh, yeah, we're not officially open yet. Hopefully, the summer, by June. Just go out and crash it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got his phone number. A few things up here on the table you can stop and look at. You know, the cap eyed skirt and some gloves and hats and boots and spurs and uh, one of the old battle guns. And the official name of the museum? It's a historic Mildred homestead. It's actually the whole homestead. It's to eventually be uh, like a living museum. You know, the old Mildred's uh, log home and uh, barns and chicken house and granary and all of that, but the main part of the museum building is the one that's almost done and should be open by June. Is that the one um, by the gates of the mountains? No, actually it's a, you take the same exit from the highway, but uh, right at the freeway uh, interchange, there's a frontage road that goes due north towards the Sperry homestead. So there was another Hilger. These are cousins of the Hilgers down at the river. Um, they had the same grandfather. And uh, Fanny's sister, Carrie, married Joe Hilger. So, and Fanny spent her last days at this Joe Hilger homestead, which is uh, it's four miles due north on the frontage road at the gates of the mountains exit. You don't take the pavement down to the water. Um, we should have some stuff published and stuff by, by June, you know, so we'll, you know, we can start taking, mainly if there's a big group or something and I get a week's notice, uh, you know, we'll have it open for that, like history groups, school groups, writers groups, artist groups, uh, that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years, wagon train groups. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh yeah, yeah, Wally. I don't take up a bunch of your time, but uh, I had the opportunity to actually hang out with Fanny as a youth uh, up there at Rasta Creek Ranch. My parents uh, took a month-long pack trip with Fanny into the Marshall and spent a month in there. So it was always the family dream to get enough horses to take and uh, do this as a family from my side because of that trip. I actually have home movies, the eight millimeter little wind-up dude that my dad took. So I've got movies of Fanny, you know, around the campfire and her pinto pack string going out there. But as a youth, I heard some comments here tonight that were this afternoon that were pretty cool. I remember going into her ranch and, and spending summer there because when we got all these ponies we were putting together for this big trip, uh, it was... Uh, a learning experience. I got to go out there and we had to put up half the hay at Fanny's ranch. And we got to take home half and we take the other half to keep her horses for, for up there. So I got to spend quite a bit of time with her. 
pretty cool lady. She uh, loved the pinos. She could walk into her cabin, and, and she had the main living area in her back bedroom, but then in the kitchen was the old majestic cook, wood cook stove. My job was to go out and do the hand pump and pack the water in and fill the warming ovens for the, for the water on the sides. And, and, uh, and for the treats, you kind of got to go, when you got bored, you got to go into her front room. It was overlooked the little lake down below by the guest cabins. And in that room, you talk about horses. She had a collection of plastic horses and displays, and whenever people would come, they were always bringing them, and she'd add them to this monster collection. And most of them were pinos and, and, and palominos and all the others, but one of the things I remember is the old Victrola phonograph that was just inside the door when you walked into it. It was there, and she would let me wind that up and play a tune on it once in a while. But I mentioned, you mentioned the Jeep that she bought. She uh, also had one of those... Uh, kind of the trotting cart racers that she had, and she gave it to me. I, I ended up, I had it, and she used to take milk in that down in cellar. Remember, she told me that she used to go do that, and us as kids, we'd go out and put the kid in it, and it just looked like a giant rickshaw, and you'd pick up the front, and you'd kind of take, us kids would tear around with it. And so I asked Fanny if I could have that, and she uh, always had the old Jeep there, talking about the Jeep pickup. Well, when... I spent a summer out there, and when we'd get low on things, what little income Fanny had, she would go to Lincoln. She'd get all dressed up, she'd have on her shirt and bolo tie and, and the white straw hat, and we'd get in that Jeep and we'd go to town, Lincoln. And I remember going down the road, and the Jeep, it's only a four-cylinder, it's 45 probably flat out as hard as it'd go. And, <laughs> and she's going down the road and people are passing her and I'm just a little guy out looking out the windows, you know. And I can remember a phrase she said, just people had passed and said, people go on a mile a minute. <laughs> well, you know, it took me till I was in high school before it dawned on me, a mile a minute was 60 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, that's flying, you know what I mean? So, and, and I got such a kick, but she... We'd go in, and uh, I remember we went into the hardware store in Lincoln there, and I'd been over in Araskar collecting all these little stones and rocks, and she told me if you can get some varnish, you can cover these rocks and make really pretty rocks out of it, you know, and I'm a little kid, and I'm thinking, well, that's cool, and I go up there and look, and it's like, you know, $4 for a quart of this stuff, and I'm going, I don't have any money. And so Fanny bought me a quart of that barathane so I could play with these rocks. But what I noticed she did when I got down, she was buying cases of seagull milk the canned milk, and when we got back, didn't dawn on me, she had feral cats running everywhere. <laughs> they were, and she fed them every day, that was her thing. She loved horses and she loved cats. You don't hear much about the cats, but they, they were everywhere. And there was not many of them that were really friendly, only a few, <laughs> most of them were as wild as they get. And my two uncles on the Sperry side always came out every fall and, uh, spent a bunch of time cutting the wood for her for her winter's wood. And they'd always stock that wood pile up. Well, one of their jobs was, and I remember Fanny talking to me about it, is uh, when they got out there, she knew she had way too many cats and they had to be thinned out. And I remember having a discussion one day. She said, Don and Ed were coming and she was going to have to have a sit down with them and discuss which ones, because she knew what they were going to do. They were going to go thin them out. She told me she'd give me this list about which ones they weren't going to mess with. They were hers, and she knew that they had to be done, and I, I kind of thought that she knew it was overrun with them, and when you let them run in the wild like that, they were everywhere. But 
it's, she had a heart of gold, and she was just an amazing person to learn. And even up when I got into high school, just I graduated out of high school in 69, I, I went and uh, went to work for a ranch in the valley, and there's this wild horse out there that nobody liked because he bucks. Bucks everybody off in the spring. <coughs> so we say they aren't the only ones who've been bucked off, so I practiced it a few times. This horse I fell in love with. He looked like Black Beauty. Totally black, white snowball with one white eye, and his name was Ringer. Well, nobody wanted him, and so I told the boss, I wanted that horse for my stock horse, and so I started messing with him. And that horse, you couldn't catch him unless you get him down in the stretch pen, close down, get clear up there, and then messing around. He always stuck his fanny to you, and I could never get a halter to fit that end of the horse. <laughs> so I went out to the ranch one day, and when you'd finally catch him, and you get him squared away and go for a ride, it was, you know, you get over that first couple of rides, he was, he was cool. He was just the neatest horse. If something wasn't right, he'd be sitting over here, and you better be paying attention because you'd be sitting there. And, but I have this problem catching him. So I went out to the ranch, and I talked to Fanny, and I sat down out on the porch, and she'd always be sitting on the porch out the, out the Hilder place out there in a nice day, and go up and sit in the chair next to her and visit, and I told her about this problem I had with this horse. I said, Growing up, I always thought you kept pellets in your pocket and you'd always get the horse to come to you. And I've tried this with him, but he's smart. He knows the only reason you want him is to go for a ride. So Fanny says, well, you're going to have to do this all the way. You can't do it part way. And here's how you break him of it, but don't stop. Do it all the way. And I said, so what do you mean? She says, you've got to be smarter than a horse. <laughs> so, okay, I'm, I'm game. Let's go. She says, well, you got him in a big feed corral? I says, yeah, that's where I keep him, because if I put him out in anything bigger than that, you just can't get him without going out and driving him into a small corral again. She says, well, take and put the halter on your arm and go out there, and you get in the center of the corral, and you start a little circle. And what's he do? She says, he goes, starts running around the corral, doesn't he? I'm going, mm, yeah. He says, well, you walk in little circles, and he runs in big circles. And he says, and you just keep going in little circles, and pretty soon he's going to stop. And, but he says, it might take a while. She says, you just keep going until he gets lathered up and he's had enough fun to run. You can go put the halter on him, walk him around a little bit, give him a few pellets, and then turn him loose. And the next night, you go do the same thing. It only took him a couple of times to go, you know what? He doesn't want me all the time, and he's not giving up. If I'd have given up, I'd have never caught him. But <laughs> it's those little lessons that she taught me about my horses. I mean, it's, I had a mare that I raised from a colt. I used to race it. I mean, I run, you get that going, there's a horse come up along and say, nobody beat me. Nobody ever did beat me. But when you get to the end of the thing and you're kind of like, okay, whoa, Blaze, let's stop. <laughs> Trees are whipping by and you're hanging onto the horn and, and, and you're kind of like, so I tried to get, I asked Fanny one day about that. And I says, so I can't get this horse to stop. I've tried all kinds of bits. And she just, once she goes, she says, you raced her, didn't you? <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? She's fast, you know. Fanny says, well, you probably can't break her of it because she's an athlete. She loves to run. She don't like to get beat. Neither do you.